Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Halloween of 2003, I was 13 years old and I was surfing with my best friend. It was like a picture-perfect morning. It was beautiful out and the water was just crystal clear blue. We were just surfing, waiting for waves, and I was kind of sitting out further than everyone else, and um, within a split second, the shark came and took my arm. I didn't really have time to think much. Right away, I just knew I had to get to the beach just to survive this. Immediately, my friends came and helped me, and I just kind of laid there and just prayed the whole way in, just um, asking God for help. I had lost about 60% of my blood, and as I was getting into the ambulance, there was a local paramedic, and he whispered in my ear and said, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was about five years old, and being able to turn to Jesus during this crazy moment in my life, it gave me a sense of peace and calmness, and I think that's one thing that just kept me alive. I'm 13, I have dreams and goals, and I was doing really well with surfing. I didn't know if I was going to be able to surf again or not. Surfing, there's something just really special about it. The feelings that you get when you're on a good wave, it's just your adrenaline's just pumping, the, like, the blood's just flowing through your whole body. Every wave is different. It's not like every wave's the same. And being out there in the ocean and in God's creation, it's like a gift that He's given us to enjoy. I knew I wanted to continue surfing. It was more of like just waiting for the doctor's orders to like allow me to go in the water. But I got out there and it was pretty amazing experience just um, learning how to surf with one arm. I mean, I knew how to surf, but it was just figuring out how to do it with one arm. And I ended up getting up on my third wave and riding it all the way in. And right then I just knew I'd be surfing for a long time. From what seems like such a horrible thing, God has just brought glory to himself through me and um, I've been able to just be a good light to people and share his love. I wake up every day and honor God in everything that I do and I may fall short sometimes, but all I want to do is love him. Well, I want to welcome everybody at all of our campuses, whether you're in Morristown here with us in Nutley in New Brunswick, or if you're watching or listening at church online, I want to welcome you, and a special buenas to all of our Spanish-speaking people in our community who are listening for the first time on special translation headsets. It's great to have all of you here. Now, what you just saw was this awesome video of this surfer named Bethany Hamilton. Some of you may remember her. She featured, her story actually featured in a movie called Soul Surfer after she lost 
her left arm in a shark attack when she was just 13 years old. It's an amazing story. So this summer, I decided to let my three girls watch this movie because I wanted them to learn something of uh, Bethany's spirit and her inspiration and her courage. So we put it on and I was hoping that she would get something, that girls would get something out of that. But as the credits started to roll, my middle daughter, Ella, looked at the screen, looked at me and went, I can't believe they made that actress cut her arm off so she could be in that movie. <laughs> so she like totally missed the point. But when I was watching that movie, the, the scene that really stood out to me was this one where Bethany goes to her youth group leader and she asks a question that I think all of us ask at some point in our life, especially when we face tough times. Why do bad things happen in life? Now, this is a question that theologians and saints and billions of people have been asking for centuries. We ask it especially when we're facing tough times. We all, we all ask it whether we believe in God or not. And it's a question that, quite honestly, I get asked every week as a pastor. People are essentially asking me that question, but they just do it in a number of different ways. Like the person who emailed me and said, God opened a door for me to get into college, but then I lost my scholarship. Why would he take that away? Another person wrote to me and said, I've been unemployed for two years despite going for hundreds of jobs. Do I have a cosmic kick-me sign on my back? Now, these are tough questions asked by people who are genuinely hurting and in a tough season in their life. And while intellectually, I think we all ask, why do bad things happen? I think emotionally, what we're really asking is, where is God when it hurts? I mean, does God sit up in heaven and just watch us go through all these tough times and our own not willing to get involved? Or even worse, is he the cause of all the tough times that we face in life? Does he reach down out of heaven and allow a hurricane to hit this house and destroy it, but skip over the next one? Does God reach down out of heaven and nudge the wheel of a car so that it spins out of control off the road? Am I sick because God decided that I should be sick? Can I get a show of hands here today? Is anybody like me and they think that it's hard to understand why bad things happen, or am I the only one? Am I crazy? Can I get a show of hands? Is anybody with me? Do you, do you feel? Great. I'm so glad that so many hands went up because that means I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. Or it means I'm in a room full of lonely, crazy people. I'm not 100% sure. Um, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about these tough times that we face in life. And today we're going to look at uh, why hard times come. And my prayer is that you will leave here today with a sense of hope and purpose for whatever situation you're facing in life. But before I get started, I just want to pray and ask God to bless this time. So won't you join me? Father God, we uh, come before you today knowing that you are the author of all things. And God, as we carve out this time to spend with you, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Give us hope in whatever situation we're facing. God, I thank you that you're a God who loves us deeply as a father. And you know exactly what we're going through in this moment. And even when we cry out to you for understanding, God, you are there ready to give it, ready to give comfort and peace and rest. And so, Father, that's what I pray today, that you would bring hope to the hopeless. You would repair that which is broken. And, God, that you would bring healing. I ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. 
You know, I think one of the reasons that we all ask this type of question at some time in our life is that all of us who grew up in the Western world, we often get taught to believe that everything in life is going to go perfectly as soon as we accept Jesus. I mean, there are churches in this country and in mine that teach people specifically that if they accept Jesus, then everything in their life is going to work out for the better. They're all about health and wealth. Name it and claim it. Believe and receive. And if this is what we're taught, you know, it's no wonder that we start asking these sorts of questions when the exact opposite happens. We start asking, why do bad things happen? Where is God when my life hurts? Where is God when I'm caught between a rock and a hard place? Now, candidly, I've experienced a lot of blessings in my life. I've been a Christian for about 20 years. I've been a pastor for four of them. But you know what? I'm still a long way from having everything in my life altogether. A few years ago, I lost a really important work contract and I found myself between a financial rock and hard place. I didn't feel like God was making me prosper then. When my wife and I lost tens of thousands of dollars on the rush sale of our house, we didn't feel like things were going in our favor because we were Christians. And you know, when my first daughter Chelsea was born with a tumor on her spine the size of this rock, I didn't think everything was working out because I was a believer. You know, right now there are over a billion people in Africa, a billion Christians in Africa. But if you've read the news, you know that parts of that country are being gripped by the worst famine in 60 years. And with 12 million people at risk of starvation, I'm sure all the local Christians there are are asking themselves, where is God in all of this? Nothing turns out right just because I accepted Jesus. During this summer gone, I went to El Salvador on a missions trip. This is a country where 81% of the people profess to be Christian. Yet while I was there, I saw firsthand the worst kinds of poverty. Families who are living in tin shacks, kids who are drinking dirty, bacteria-infested water, parents barely managing to serve up a single meal to their kids each day. I mean, it was heartbreaking and it was gut-wrenching. In fact, it's almost impossible to witness this sort of poverty firsthand and not find yourselves asking the sort of questions that we're asking here today. See, my experience in life is that everything doesn't just become simple because you're a Christian. Sometimes, in fact, things get worse, or at least they seem to. And that's exactly what the Bible says, that we will go through tough times, that bad things will happen. I mean, have a look at what Jesus says in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble that's not the sort of thing you see on a Christian bumper sticker. There's not many people naming and claiming that promise, right? But then Jesus offers some hope. Have a listen to what it says. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, say it with me, I have overcome the world. See, when Jesus said this, he knew that his disciples were going to face the worst kind of trouble, including being tortured and killed for their faith. And unlike a lot of modern-day tele-evangelists, the Apostle Paul didn't expect health and wealth. He expected and experienced all sorts of suffering, including prison, torture, and shipwreck. 
which led him to write, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, Scripture doesn't say that you won't face hard times, but in fact that you will eventually face a tough time, whether you're Christian or not. And you know, the Bible uses, often uses the picture of a desert or a wilderness as a metaphor to explain our life especially when we face tough times. And whenever I've read stories in the Bible of people in the desert, this is the sort of image that I've always imagined. Lots of sand, lots of sand dunes all over the place. But then, Pastor Ryan showed me this photo that he took of the actual desert in Israel where most of the Bible takes place. Now this, this is a completely different scene to what I'd imagined. But this is exactly the sort of wilderness that the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in this. When Jesus went to fast for 40 days, he was in this sort of wilderness. And you can bet, while there's no, not much sand, you can still bet this is a desert and it is boiling hot. It is rough and it is rocky, but it is boiling hot. So it's no surprise then that the Bible uses this type of metaphor to explain our life when things are going really tough, when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. This is the image it's imagining up. Now, according to the Bible, when you're living in life, a life that's falling apart, when the heat is on, this is where you're living. And I think it's a great image because it can get so hot in this sort of desert that you can't even imagine what it's going to be like to take the next step. And I know that I personally have felt like that in my life. Like things are so hard in my life that I don't know if I can just take one more step forward. That's when we start asking questions like, if there is a loving God, how can he let this happen? I remember when my daughter Chelsea was born. There I was in the hospital um, experiencing all the joy of being a new dad. And then a doctor came in and he told my wife Meg and I that Chelsea had a tumor. And as a parent, when you hear the word tumor, your heart sinks. And I remember in that moment thinking, <coughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's small enough that it can come out really easily and then maybe they just have to do a little operation to be okay. But then the doctor told us it was this big and it was attached to her spine and she had to undergo an operation that could cost her her life to have it removed. And you know what? In that moment, I didn't feel like God was in the room and I didn't feel like my life was prospering because of that. I, didn't, I asked God Why? How can this be part of your plan? Now, I wish that I could stand here today before you and say, hey, as your pastor, I can let you know that you are never going to face a tough time in your life. But the reality is there are people in this room now and watching online who are in the middle of the desert right now. The heat is on. And maybe uh, they're going through the, you're going through the pain today of a broken relationship. Maybe you lost your job and the bills are starting to pile up and you're feeling the heat from the debt collectors. You know what I'm talking about right now. You're in the desert. And there are some of you today who aren't in the desert right now, but you remember a time when you were. And there's probably a few people who feel like they've never been in the desert. Well, let me tell you, 
you will be in the desert at some point in your life. And when we're in the desert, the Bible promises that God will always provide just enough shade for us to take one more step. He says that the people who follow him will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of still of springs of water. Now it's in verses like this that we start to get an idea of where God is when life gets crushing on us, when we find ourselves in the wilderness. He's not sitting back unable or unwilling to step in to help us. He's actually there, ready to provide shade and comfort. And it's funny, because in the desert in Israel, it's not just the lack of shade or the heat that will slow down your progress. It's also the rocks. These will slow you down and they will trip you up. And when you see photos of the desert in Israel like this one, it's easy to see why another metaphor that is often used throughout the Bible is that our life is a pathway. And when you walk on life's pathway, you're going to come up against rocks of all different shapes and sizes. Now, on your way in today, all of you guys got given a little rock like this one. Can everybody take that out right now? Take it out, take it out of your pocket, pick it up off the floor, and just hold it up so that I know that everybody got one. I want to see it at all of our campuses. Everybody got a rock. Now, I took a risk today because if I don't preach well, you guys are going to throw those at me. Um, What I want you to do right now is I want you to feel that rock. Take it out and touch it. Feel how hard it is. Run your fingers along the edges. Feel all those rough spots. You see, as you journey through life, you're going to come up against rocks like this. Some of them are small. They're annoying. They're frustrating, but you're able to keep going. Maybe you get a flat tire on your way to work. That's your rock. Maybe your plane gets cancelled. That's your rock. Maybe you break a leg skiing. That's a little rock. But other rocks on the pathway of your life are going to be a little bit bigger and they're going to do a little bit more damage. Maybe you're going through an illness or maybe you have a car accident. And then, occasionally, from time to time, you're going to come up against these huge, heavy, immovable rocks that seem impassable unbearable and they threaten to crush you you lose your job someone in your family gets a terminal illness your marriage comes to an end then you find yourself stopped by this kind of rock and you wonder how you're ever going to get out from underneath it see there are those smaller rocks like the person who wrote to me recently and said i've believed in god my whole life but this chronic knee issue that's Sorry, I have this chronic knee issue that stops me being as active as I want to be. And then there are these larger rocks, like the person who wrote, my mum has cancer and we're getting crushed by medical bills. Where is God in all of this? Now, I wonder, if you, as you hold that rock that's in your hand, I wonder what that rock represents for you today. As you remember the rocks in your life what emotions are you feeling what pain do you remember right now take your rock out hold it keep hold of it for this whole thing okay there are some people in this room who are right now who have been out of work for more than a year that's your rock what does that feel like this morning what does it feel like when people ask you what you do for work How does it feel when you can't afford to go out for dinner with your friend? I was talking to a friend recently who 
went through an abortion a few years back and she's still feeling the weight of guilt for a decision that she made years ago. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've got a decision that you made some years ago that still weighs so heavily upon you. That is your rock. What does that feel like today? For some people here, your rock is the relationship that's coming to an end. When people are around, you put on a brave face, but I know because you've told me that you're barely hanging on by a thread. And when nobody else is around, you feel the weight of betrayal and hurt and pain crushing down on your chest. Hold on to that rock again. Pull it out. Put it in your hands, all of our campuses. What does that rock feel like to you? What is your rock? The metaphor of this sort of rock became really apparent to me when I was in El Salvador. See, to get to the village that we worked in, we had to go down this um, rocky path. It was a bumpy track made out of stones that looked exactly like that because that's a photo of the track. And to get there, we would get buffered around in the van and if we were walking from one end of the village to the other, it sometimes you know, it made walking difficult. There were little rocks there that we could just step on over. Then there were these softball-sized rocks, a little bit bigger. Sometimes you'd step on them and if it was raining, you'd slip and maybe you'd twist an ankle and you'd have to pause for a minute. Just stop, pause, bend down and rest. But then there were these large boulders in this track. And one night as we were leaving, the truck that we were in actually slid off the road and the axle got caught on one of these giant boulders. And we spent the best part of the next 90 minutes trying to push, pull, lift anything that we could do to get this truck off this big obstacle in the road. And eventually what it took was a huge truck that came with some chains and was able to pull us around. But here's the interesting, th- interesting thing. See all those people standing around? These were the villagers that all came out to help us. And as they did, I saw something that I'd been noticing all week. Despite the rocks that they all face in their life every single day, they all laughed together. They all gathered together around a common problem. Nobody pointed the finger of blame at anybody. Nobody got frustrated. In a situation where most of us would get angry and bitter, they had this sweetness in their spirit. And it was so obvious. They looked at this obstacle not as something to get upset about or to complain about, but as an opportunity to come together and learn, to come together around a common problem. And you know, as I saw that, it reminded me of the words of Lazarus Yegnazar. Lazarus is a pastor from Iran who ministers to Christians in his home country who are being tortured for their faith. Last year, when he was visiting us, I asked Lazarus for some advice on what we should do if we're facing tough times, and his answer surprised me. Without missing words and hitting around the bush, I would say pray for persecution. Every time persecution hits in the Old Testament, people are drawn to God. And when people are drawn to God, God's glory descends. In the New Testament, wherever the persecution hits the church, people are drawn to God. In our affluence and blessing and anointing, we have come to a sense of adequacy without God, which is so destructive. We are becoming a victims of our own anointing and success. And that brings tears to God's face. Now, did you catch what Lazarus said? That we should pray for persecution. He actually said, when persecution hits, people are drawn to God so that we should pray for it. 
Now that is a very Eastern way of thinking, that God is actually tangibly there whenever we face rocks in our life. But as Westerners, we have this different perspective of God. If you ask anybody in the Western church to describe God, they use all sorts of words like God is holy, God is love, God is almighty, He is powerful, He is all-knowing. Now, all of these definitions are 100% biblically correct. Not a problem with any of them. But they're all intangible concepts that we can't grab onto when we go through a rough patch in our life. When we walk through a rocky road, it's hard to grab onto these things. If God is loving, if He is almighty, if He is all-knowing, then why does my life hurt so much right now? But to an Eastern Christian, you ask them to describe God and they're going to answer things like, God is my father. God is my shield. God is my bread. God is my shepherd. God is my lamp. God is sweet to my taste. Now, these are all tangible things that can be easily pictured, yeah? We can picture a shield in our head. We can picture a lamp, a shepherd, They're real-life things that we can actually grab onto when we're getting crushed by life's boulders. They're things that we can see and hear and touch and smell and taste. You see, to the Eastern mind, God invades all five of your senses. And the last one is so interesting. Because whenever we go through a rough patch in our life, whenever we face some trials and some obstacles, we often say that a certain incident left a bad taste in your mouth, right? But God says He is sweet. We even say that some people are bitter about their lot in life, but the Bible refers to God as being sweet like honey. Now, we're going to get really practical here, okay? And we're going to do that because I love honey this stuff is so good i don't know how they make that but that's all everybody loves honey right well today i want to remind you guys what honey is like how sweet honey is so what we're going to do is we're going to get really practical here's what we're going to do i want everybody to get some honey hold that on your finger there's ushers coming forward right now and they're going to start handing out some honey bears and what, what I want you to do is this. Get the honey bear, take a little squirt, put it on your finger, but just leave it. Tip. Just a small squirt. <laughs> Don't squirt a big lot, okay? Just a small little squirt. Take a squirt, pass the honey bear along. The ushers are passing all of those out right now. Um, Don't lick it off. That's the key. Don't lick the honey off. It's going to get messy. Don't lick it off. If you've got a sugar allergy or a honey allergy, just skip over this part of the message, Okay? <laughs> Just, just let the honey bear go on by. But I want everybody to get a drop. Now, once you've got a drop of honey, I want you to hold your finger up and show me, show me that you've all got one. I need to see that everybody's got I can see already. <laughs> I can see already that some of you are starting to struggle with it. There's a lot of this squirming going on. And you're all starting to wonder, what's going to happen? Uh, what am I going to... Can I lick it? Don't lick it. I know you want to. Dude... No, let it run off. This is the point. Let it run off. Here, I'm going to come. You get some more, honey. Come on. Get a little bit more. Don't let it run off. It's going to get messy, okay? But guess what? Sometimes we find ourselves in sticky situations in our life, right? Sometimes life gets messy, amen? 
But today, I want you guys to be reminded about what God says when we face those messy, sticky situations in our life. Has everybody got honey? Hold your finger up so that I can see. Squirm it around. Today, I want you guys to get a fresh understanding of what God's promise is whenever you face messy moments in your life. I want you to leave here with a renewed sense of hope that when you trip up on a rock, when you're getting crushed by the weight of a boulder, that things can turn out differently. Everybody, don't lick it off. Squirm it around. Look up here. I want you to read these words with me from Psalm 34. It says what? Read that loud. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And Psalm 119, read it with me, everybody. Come on. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Okay, now the time has come for us to lick this off, okay? But we're going to do it together. Don't do it just yet. We're going to do this together. And as you do this, I want you to remember that the Bible says this is what God is like. So on the count of three, one, two, three, lick. Now, while that taste is still in your mouth, look up here and read these words from Psalm 81 out loud. Oh, that my people would listen to me. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. Now, this seems so strange, right? Honey doesn't come from rocks. How can something sweet come out of something hard and cold? Everybody, take your rock out right now. Have a look at it. Can you imagine honey coming out of that thing? But that's what God's Word says. Honey will come from here. When we're on God's pathway in life, when we follow Jesus, He promises that in each rock that you face, there will be something sweet. Take it out. Hold that rock. Now, I know that there are times in your life when all you want to do is you just want to throw this rock as far as you can get it because you hate what this rock represents. I know there are times when that happens, but God wants you to know today that out of hard times comes something sweet, that he is inside every rock that you face in life. And I know it doesn't make sense, but that's what God does. He brings something good out of every bad situation. Now, this verse never really made sense to me because like you, I know that honey comes from bees, right? A beehive. It doesn't come from a rock. But when I was in El Salvador, I heard a fascinating story told by one of the living water guys. <clears throat> he said that often when they're uh, trying to provide water to a village, they have to clear huge parts of the jungle to make water catchment areas. And occasionally when this happens, they come up against giant rocks like this. And when they face a rock like that, what they generally do, the, the, the locals generally do, they call all of us Western missionaries up to have a look at it. And as we walk up, we see this huge rock and we go, wow, guess that's it, it's over. It's, the obstacle's too big, it's too hard. We, can't, we might as well just give up. But what the locals do is they fire up the bulldozer. Boom! And we all stand around going, they're never going to move that thing. Look at the size of this rock. Didn't it? But they back the, bu- the bulldozer up. Bip, bip, bip. And then they hit the rock. And it kind of just shakes a little bit. It's a little bit of dust. 
So they back up the bulldozer again. Bip, bip, bip. Hit the rock one more time. Moves just a little bit and we're all going, it's, it's over, can't be moved. But they, bip, they back up the bulldozer again. Bip, bip. This is an Australian bulldozer. <laughs> bip, 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 bip. And they run it into the rock one more time. And this time the rock splits in half. Two halves fall down. All this dust settles. And inside is this golden, sticky, sweet, syrupy goodness. And all the locals go running in and they pick it all up and they start licking their hands with it. And we all stand around and go, what is going on here? But all the locals are filled with joy. You know, they're licking, they're all smiling and they're all laughing and they're all very happy. And that's when you realize that what we saw as an obstacle, as a giant boulder that was immovable, was actually a termite nest. Bees aren't the only insects that make honey. Certain breeds of termites make honey as well. If you've watched enough National Geographic, you've probably seen footage and pictures of monkeys poking sticks into termite nests to get the honey out, and it satisfies them. Now, this verse from Psalm 81 makes much more sense to me. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. See, God places in nature an example of the truth of His Word, the truth of Scripture. There is enough honey inside every rock that you face, not to make it feel good. They don't. They hurt. I get that. God knows that. His son felt how much they hurt. But there's enough honey, there's enough of God inside every rock to help you to take one more step in your spiritual journey. Folks, look at your rock again. Take it out. Hold it in your hand. Feel how hard it is. Now, can you imagine honey coming from that thing? Can you imagine that? But God says when you're caught between a rock and a hard place, you're not alone because He is inside there ready to satisfy you. There is enough of Him inside ready to satisfy you. Now, think back in your life. When was God most real to you? When was those times when you experienced God the most in your life, when He was the most real? Isn't it often those times when we are in the hard places? To me, this rock feels as hard as the hospital floor that I knelt on, begging God to save my little girl's life. At the time, Chelsea weighed barely more than this rock. But they cut her skin open and they removed the tumor. I remember kneeling on that floor. And as I look back now, I know that God was more real to me in that moment than he's ever been. And it didn't take my pain away. My pain was still there. But I knew that God was in control. And I've never forgotten that feeling. You know, the desert is where you experience God because there's just nowhere else to turn. When you're in the desert, you need to rely on God. You need to hang on to Him just to survive. 
Because only God can bring life out of chaos. Only He can make a tree grow in the desert. Only God can make honey come from your rock. Amen? Now imagine if every rock that you faced in your life was actually an opportunity for you to taste the sweetness of God. Imagine that. That every rock was actually a sweet moment. Do you believe that that's even possible? You see, folks, whenever we face tough times, we're actually being drawn closer to God. We may not always know why we're doing it. We may not understand why we're being led into the desert. We may not know why life gets sticky and messy sometimes. But when it happens, at least we can have, hang on to this promise that God is in there. God is not uncaring. He's not unloving. But He's actually ready to nourish us with honey from a rock. God is in the middle of your tough times. Where is God when life hurts? He's right there in your pain. If you follow Him, if you're on a godly path, then He's there ready to satisfy you with enough honey to help you take the next step. But what if you're on a different path? What if you don't know Jesus? What's in your rocks then? Nothing. You're still going to face rocks in your life but you're not going to find anything of God in them. So you're left to wonder why God has abandoned you when you face a tough time. But the story of Christianity is that God abandoned His own Son, Jesus Christ, so that He would not have to abandon you. In the story of Jesus, the ultimate bad thing happened to the ultimate good person. When He was crucified on the cross in our place for our sins, it was actually a horrific thing, but out of it came the sweetness of our salvation. Most of us don't want to go into the desert because we're scared to death of the pain. But Jesus walked willingly into the desert, willingly into pain, and He died there so that we could taste the sweetness of God. But His death is not the end of the story. Because God has made a vow to make all things new. And His resurrection means that we will never have to feel pain without tasting the sweetness of God. The pain that we feel will not last. It means that our pain actually has a purpose to draw us closer to Christ. And that's what the story of Jesus is all about. In this life, In this life, we're going to face pain. But it is not the ultimate winner. Pain will not last forever. It's terrible, yes. But it won't last. And guys, take your rock out again. I'm talking about your rock today. Do you believe that this is going to last forever? Do you believe that God can provide some honey from inside this rock? That He can take the worst things, even the crucifixion of His own Son, and bring it about to be something good? That's the promise for everybody who's here. Because God tells us, that we're going to face pain and agony, yes. But guess what? There will come a day when there's no more weeping, when there's no more pain, when there's no more rocks, just honey. We're going to go into a time of communion now. We're going to give you the chance to come up And with your rock, with your hurt, with your pain, and place it on the communion table. This is a way of trading your rock, your hurt, your burden, for the sweetness 
of God because you don't have to carry that rock alone. Jesus instituted the idea of communion when uh, he led the Israelites out of Egypt through the desert to freedom. So today, as you come forward and you taste the dryness of the wafer and the bitterness of the bread, he asks you to remember his rock, his pain, his blood shed, his body broken for you. So in a moment, we'll ask you to come forward and taste and see the sweetness of God. But before we do, let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for the reality, the truth of your scripture. That whatever hard time we face, God, you are there. You know what we go through and you are there ready to satisfy us. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just impress that upon our minds, write that onto our hearts, God, so that whenever we face those rocks in our life, that we would be not seeing just a rock, just seeing the hardness, but God, we would be looking specifically for the sweetness of your spirit. Father, I ask this for myself. I ask this for my family. I ask this for everybody in the liquid community, everybody under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.